0: Welcome to the Digiday Podcast, I'm Brian Marcy. This week I'm joined by BuzzFeed CEO Jonah Peretti. Jonah and I discuss how BuzzFeed has diversified its business, how publishers can get more credit for driving purchases, and why he's as committed as ever to BuzzFeed news. One note, we recorded this episode a couple weeks ago prior to the acceleration of the coronavirus spread, so this is one place you won't hear discussion of it. Hope you enjoy it. Jonah, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be here. Okay, so you were you were on a couple years ago when BuzzFeed was sort of on the start of its diversification journey. And this is something that I talk to a lot of publishers about because a lot of publishers are on this. Explain where BuzzFeed's business was two years ago and where it is now.
1: Yeah, I would say over the last three years, we've really transformed the way that BuzzFeed makes money. We've diversified our business pretty dramatically. Um
0: so 3 years ago the business was mostly sponsor content.
1: 70% of our business was native advertising. Yeah. And this year it will be 20%. So in the in the span of a you know 2-3 years we went from having a, a line of revenue that is the majority of our revenue to having it be uh, a
0: small part of our revenue. Okay. And that's not just because it's gone down.
1: It's a combination of it going down um and other things growing, and so we've been able, we've been fortunate to be able to grow our top line revenue for ten years in a row. Ever since we had any revenue, we've grown our top line, um, but we've done that while replacing some of our revenue with new forms of revenue.
0: Okay, I want to get into that, but talk about the the process of of embarking on that. One, I guess, having the decision to say, "Hey, we got to change, we got to change this." You know, we started this, um, I remember we were talking many years ago um, when you guys were really pioneering um, this idea that you could create content for uh, advertisers. You wouldn't have to run uh, display ads or do a lot of annoying things that publishers typically do. Um, And it was wildly successful, right? But then at some point, it's like, we got to change. And this is a a sizable organization that we have to change. Explain the challenge in that.
1: So so part of it was we were... Ahead on native, and we were ahead of the of the social platforms. So we a year before Facebook and Twitter had in-stream native style advertising. BuzzFeed had it, and so we were the place you would go to to get that kind of advertising that now has become pretty ubiquitous. Where you're mm-hmm. scrolling through a feed of content and you see um, a sponsored sponsored content of of, of, of some kind. Um, the platforms had certain advantages to scaling that kind of advertising, and so when we um, saw the platforms adopt this you mode. mean
0: like billions of users and billions of users of
1: lots of data lots of um you know Some b- big marketplace for people to make content yeah um and so they started to to um cut into what was our core business we were early to it and we did it first and they s- yeah. saw that it was... Sadly, the
0: market well. doesn't, like, reward that, like, in, per- <laughs> in perpetuity.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I think there was, there was a sense in which, uh, you know, there was a time when Mark Zuckerberg didn't want, think you could put any ads in the f- stream or in the yeah. feed, um, and you know, Twitter did the sponsored tweets mm-hmm. early on and there was lots of constraints of which kinds of tweets were allowed to be in the feed and things like that. Um, we had already seen that you could put branded content, if it was good quality content in the feed, that it would mm-hmm. click at a high rate, that users would be okay with it, and that it worked in mobile. And so, I you know, remember back in those days, Facebook was, there was all this question yeah. of whether they could shift to mobile. We knew they could shift to mobile. So, when I was reading those stories about, can Facebook I shift r- to I mobile? Wrote, I wrote at least one. Yeah. So, we knew, we knew they could because we had already done it because BuzzFeed, with a native model, was making content that you could consume on mobile and desktop. Mm -hmm. And our ads were the same as our our content in terms of the formats. And so we knew that it would work in mobile.
0: But it got commoditized.
1: But it got commoditized. Lots of other people entered the market. There was a lot of of competition for it. The platforms um, started to distribute content in a similar way to us uh, or branded content in a similar way to us. So we knew we had to figure out new Mm -hmm. ways to to grow our business.
0: And at that time, I mean, you were... Distributing a lot of content on Facebook and other platforms too that was not being monetized for reasons of the platforms making, right?
1: Yeah, the the platform. I mean, I think Facebook in particular wanted to have more video content in their feed, and yeah. so we, um, especially with Tasty, really just figured out a model to make massive user growth for uh, you know our billions growth. of views, billions, many billions of views,
0: but not a ton of money.
1: And not a ton of money because the way people were consuming the Facebook feed is is they were scrolling through, and they were spending a few minutes every day or f- a few minutes many times a day scrolling through snackable content in their feed. And if you put a f- pre-roll ad mm-hmm. on your video, people would just scroll past it. Right. It wasn't it wasn't like YouTube where it was a more linear experience. And so if people are going to just scroll past the pre-roll ad, they couldn't really put pre-roll ads. So they try that. That didn't really work. Um, and so. Um, I think the obvious idea back then is they should have just shared some of the newsfeed revenue, right, with with publishers who are making great video content. I Starting think- to happen.
0: I want to talk about that, but like, so you're in the situation where y- you pioneered a um, a really effective form of advertising, um, and that users didn't didn't like, um, but that other people started to do, and and for a variety of reasons, the yeah. users did like actually. No, that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and and uh, started to get commoditized, and the sort of the second sort of big form of didn't really come with all of this video and the feed, right? So like w- explain how you ended up thinking about reorienting the business because it's really difficult to reorient any business, but particularly I mean BuzzFeed was not small at the time.
1: Yeah, so we were fortunate that we had raised a lot of capital and we could take a long-term view on it. And we knew that if people were going to consume a lot of video content in particular, on social platforms, that there would have to be a business model that would emerge to support it. And that it would be in the interest of the platforms to have a way for video to be sustainable. Right, um, And YouTube had already figured it out um, in the sense that they have always had this 55-45 rev share with with people creating you know, mm-hmm. and people, and influencers, and companies making content, for and YouTube.
0: you were pushing Facebook to do. Similar. And so, we,
1: yeah, we saw that our YouTube business was working, and that that was generating revenue. Um, and if you, you know, you couldn't make super expensive Game of Thrones type content, but if you made if you made um, great pop, lightweight, personal, social type content, you could make that work on YouTube. And so, um, it seemed like it was only a matter of time before Facebook would f- build a model. To, to make that possible.
0: Okay. But you don't want to bet the business on, on on what Facebook does, right? I mean, you, you got to take control of your own destiny to some degree, although I know that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> I,
1: I, I mean, I think you do want to bet uh, the business on where you think the ecosystem as a whole is going. And to me, it felt like the ecosystem was headed towards distributed media across many different platforms. And to me, it felt like we would be able to build a profitable media network that r- reaches hundreds of millions of people, and that if you had that kind of scale and you were across many different platforms, you would be able to build a good business. And we saw that play out over the last couple of years.
0: So what were the steps along the way then? You have a much more diversified business now than you did three years ago, that's for sure, at least in your, your note that you shared recently.
1: Yeah, so so part of it was the media network and building out a media network in the early days of BuzzFeed, we would make content and would make almost no revenue from the content, and then we'd do native advertising and We'd make our money that way. Um, now we have a media network where every time we make a video, we generate revenue from pre-roll or mid-roll. Every time we make an article, we generate revenue through programmatic or custom display or direct sold display. And overall, that works out to about um, $150 million in revenue. And it costs us less than 150 million dollars to make Sounds all that like content on that content, <laughs> and so for uh, for no money and actually generating a profit, we build out a massive media network that reaches you know hundreds of millions of people every month across many different platforms, including our own site and our app. Um, where we have really significant scale mm-hmm. as well, so we're not we're not just a distributed media company. We we added the distributed video. We didn't pivot to it. So we are the Buzzfeed website is bigger than ever. Um, and Tasty now has a site, BuzzFeed News has a site. Um, We have apps for both BuzzFeed News and for for Tasty. Um, So we have big owned and operated and a big distributed business, about 150 million in revenue that is generated just from adjacent media and um, Mm -hmm. in the course of distributing our content across all these platforms, we generate enough revenue to more than pay for that content. Then that network gives us the ability to generate additional revenue and build other businesses. Um, so when we build a studio and we make content and sell the content to say another platform, we have the ability to promote that with our network. Or when we do um, affiliate or commerce or mm-hmm. shopping content, we have this big network. So when we make content, shopping content, we know there'll be a big audience there. To, so it all to starts
0: with with the big network, and yes. so like. I guess all of these businesses are more valuable because of the big network like you could be the best studio in the world and you you go up against a lot of studios but they can't then promote they, they they can they can't they can sell a show into Netflix or Amazon or whatever but they don't have a giant network to promote it
1: yeah, so you can just be a production company but that's not a very exciting business and there's not great margins in that um, but if you um, like, we, we um, have a really interesting partnership with, with this company, Echo, that makes interactive video products. And when they partner with us, they get great creative and great shows, but they also get a partner who can help distribute those shows and reach reach big audiences. Um, so, putting those two things together allow us to do things that you wouldn't be able to do without that, that big network.
0: Okay. How about on the commerce side? I mean, because there's a lot of publishers getting into commerce. I mean, you guys... Um Definitely experimented a lot, I think, in this area. Um, but explain how much that's growing and how important that is in uh, going forward.
1: Yeah, so, so last year we, we drove um, about half a billion in indirectly measurable sales transactions um, downstream from all of our, our commerce. Um, um so you
0: drove you mean people clicked on things on BuzzFeed and then they
1: see a gift guide they see a, a interesting roundup they click through did you make money off of
0: that whole 500 million?
1: Yeah, so we got a, a affiliate commission on all of that revenue. All of it. okay. So it's not we're not we didn't make that much revenue ourselves, but we (laughs) we made a you know about about a tenth of it in commission. But you're getting
0: you're getting money off that. I mean, it's one thing. Like, look, you were creating tons of attention on on Facebook with the videos, but you weren't making any money off it. Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great
1: business, and that's it's very high margin revenue that comes that comes back to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we were able to do that is we had this big network. We had lots of people who love BuzzFeed content. We, Because we had a focus on making shareable content, we thought a lot about how people take action. How does content inspire someone to do something? So, in Mm -hmm. early BuzzFeed, it was inspiring someone to share something with a friend. Now, we took that same data-driven approach to say, can we make something that inspires someone to buy something or transact or go on a trip? Um, Mm -hmm. We have a a really interesting partnership with Hilton um, where we are doing Travel content, and then when people are inspired to travel, they can directly transact. Yeah. and book hotels. Th- this is
0: like you wrote about this about sort of narrowing. Look, Google's gotten a ton of credit because, um, like, when you search, you know, for something, they charge the advertiser to to be at the top of the search results. It's wonderful. Like, why build the road when you can just put up a toll booth? Right? I mean, yeah, it's good it, business.
1: I mean, it's it's always easier to take credit for something than it is to do something. Yeah, this <laughs> you know? is the
0: age-old uh, internet problem where th- those harvesting demand are um, overcredited versus those who are creating the demand, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, but ex- explain a little bit um, how the commerce business is more than just an affiliate links business.
1: Yeah, so part of it is um, curating the infinite choice on Amazon and and at Walmart and at other places where um, now everyone is used to having everything available and at their fingertips online. And if you can create a trusted curatorial lens on it and help people discover new things, that's really valuable. So that's the basic affiliate business. And then in addition to that, we have things like the Tasty brand, which we can license to have 100 skew lines of pots and pans at, at every Walmart in North America. And so when we're making a Tasty video, it's using a cookware that you can buy at a Walmart and we're getting a cut mm-hmm. of that as a as, since they're licensing our brand and partnering with us.
0: Which is a better like margin business? Um,
1: they both are pretty close they bo- they both are pretty close to 100% margin businesses. Okay. Licensing you're you're getting, you know, pretty much 100% margin revenue back and affiliate you're your your you know getting paid a commission yeah. back and it's similar to programmatic revenue you're where it feels like 100 margin revenue okay. now of course there's a lot of people taking money along the way and and when we sell a pot and pan a lot of other people have to get yeah. paid and you know but in terms of the the on a, as a technical matter the money that comes back is mm-hmm. money that the company gets to invest and keep and use to to build their business
0: so buzzfeed started really with your own like experiments about you know what causes people to share things and, you know, the, the data science behind that. How hard was it to sort of reorient that to, like, what what makes people buy stuff?
1: I, I think a lot of it was similar um, in that we are... We, we have a lot of really creative people who are making content, and we want the content to be used in people's lives, and that might mean sharing it with a friend and building a social connection with someone else. Mm-hmm. It might mean... Um, cooking something for yourself or your friends or your family. So with Tasty, we have this flood of, of tips of people modifying the recipes and sharing tips with each other about how to cook food. Um, it might mean that you're you're actually buying a pot or a pan or a product to, to do the cooking. With Tasty now and the Tasty app, any recipe, you can click a button and it puts all the ingredients in a shopping cart that you can have delivered to your house from Walmart or or picked up at a Walmart store. Um, And so all these things are about making media not be something that you just consume, but something that you use in your life. Um, And so we have taken this same data-driven approach to making content where you combine the art and science, the creativity, plus the -hmm. data side. And we have... Expanded other parts of people's lives, and so it's not like we're just now only focused on getting people to buy things. We're focused on getting people to travel to new places and discover new places they can travel, to watch new things on streaming services, um, to cook cook food, to um, try a new restaurant, um, to have a new experience, to connect with people in in their lives, or try you know all mm-hmm. all these things that that matter to people. And I think that's the the piece that digital media can do better than traditional broadcast. Traditional broadcast takes one piece of media and tries to push that same piece of media out to as many people as possible. Digital media can be more intertwined with people's lives and mm-hmm. being the level you know, being the switchboard for content for, for commerce and culture, being the, the type of content that causes people to have a spark where they say, I want to try something new or do something or go somewhere, you know, that's what's always been most mm-hmm. exciting to me. And now we can do that in a deeper level because the internet has been starting to mix with the real world more and we can yeah. actually see all the data.
0: So how can you get credit for that, though? Like, um, I mean, you talked about the Hilton partnership and we wrote about it because I think it's an it's an interesting attribution story. And attribution is like kind of like people are like, ugh, they're going to go to sleep. But it's like, <laughs> it's an incredibly important thing um, because like who gets credit gets money. Um, and Google's gotten a lot of money, and, and Facebook's gotten a lot of money because they're at the bottom of the funnel.
1: Yeah, the, um, the thing about attribution problems is that people care a lot when they're the one who's getting screwed over. Yeah. You know, so if you're the person at work who's doing all the hard work, and then your coworkers taking credit for it <laughs> and getting promotions and raises, then you care about the attribution problem. Um, and if you're in an industry where <laughs> where you know Google is uh, saying, "Look, we we drove all of this this, this these great bookings to your hotel because." look at all the search data that's converting to people booking your hotel when actually there was an article or a video or mm-hmm. or some content that was made by a a publisher that inspired right. someone to go on the trip then but the publisher is, gets pretty upset right. and is but, like dude you're just taking credit for the, all the work I'm doing
0: but it's an age old problem so why is buzzfeed going to solve it or how is buzzfeed going to solve it for for itself
1: the the biggest way the reason why it's solvable now is that the the marketing funnel is getting squished in mobile, and people are going from inspiration to transaction much more quickly. So, we're solving it because we're already driving half a billion in GMV from our affiliate and commerce business. We're getting that last click. Mm -hmm. uh, And the reason we can get the last click is that we're inspiring people and they're transacting in such a short window that they're not pausing and then going and doing research on Google or buying it somewhere else or walking into a store. They're just doing it when, when okay, the moment Okay, so you tracks. can
0: be, because uh, I think for years, publishers have been complaining about, you know, last click, last click, last click, last click. And you're saying now publishers can benefit from last click. Yes. Yes.
1: If you move the last click forward, if you, <laughs> if you can go from inspiration to click faster, you know, we have, you know, lots of examples now where there's some product that you had never heard of you know, a furbo that shoots dog treats out and lets you, you know, connect with your dog when you're at work. And you see a video on Buzzfeed about it, and you didn't even know it existed. And you buy it 45 seconds after you, you know, you know, after right. you're done with the video, you you buy it. That's being the top of the funnel and the bottom of the funnel. Yeah. It's being the driving awareness and then purchase intent and then a click and a conversion in the span mm-hmm. of 45 seconds. And so if you can do that. That's one way a publisher can solve it. And, and, and BuzzFeed has an advantage doing that because of our scale and our reach and the engagement level of our audience and the way that they are used to using our content in their lives and sharing content with their friends. Like, all of that helps us be better at going from that mm-hmm. inspiration to conversion. You also, and we're doing this with Hilton and, and, and with other partners, you also can get better at finding ways to take credit for the fact that, say, if you write about a TV show and someone gets excited to watch something because of coverage on BuzzFeed, if they later go to a streaming service and watch that mm-hmm. that show, if you can measure that, that's something that wasn't possible in, say, newspapers and magazines. I mean, how many times do people watch a movie because they read about it in the New York Times, and the New York Times is not getting any credit for that at all, yeah. right? Or, and how many times do people, you know, and, and in our case, like so many people read about different kinds of cultural products on BuzzFeed, and if we can now directly connect that to the consumption because all the big traditional media companies are now moving online mm-hmm. and everything is moving to streaming and, um, you, you're, you know, it used to be we would show advertisement for a TV show or write about a TV show in our editorial coverage, and then people would have to go, you know, in our case, might not even have cable with our young audience and can't even watch the show. Um, And if they can watch the show, it's a totally different system and you can't really connect the dots together very easily. Now you're starting to be able to connect the dots.
0: And I think what's interesting is, I think in media, a lot of times everyone focuses on, it's like sort of bifurcated and people say, well, brand advertising, good, and performance marketing, kind of gross, direct mail stuff. But the reality is performance marketing budgets are bigger in many cases. Um, because they can directly drive sales. They can be uncapped in some ways. Um, yep. and, and Google, I think, did an amazing job over the years of sort of repositioning itself from, from advertising, which is a cost center, um, to like a cost of goods sold which is just sort of like, okay, you, you, pay, you could pay that as much as possible. I remember Tim Armstrong, like, meeting with Tim Armstrong, and he was like, oh, all these budgets should be uncapped. I'm like, that's a great pitch, Tim. <laughs> um, how much are you now able to get into performance marketing budgets versus before? I mean, like, I, you're obviously doing a lot with, like, awareness and just regular brand advertising, but it sounds like what you're talking about is more akin to performance marketing.
1: Yeah, what's interesting about our affiliate business, it has certain qualities that are like brand advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, so the Quip toothbrush was a, you know, a partner where people would look at a BuzzFeed article about the product, and it was really like brand advertising. It was like, here's how it works, and here's how you use it, and here's what's good about it, and um, but then you buy it at the end, so then it's performance. You yeah. know, and you can do these brand studies on our on our affiliate. Com- commerce posts or branded commerce posts you can do brand studies yeah. and see you get a brand lift and purchase. Yeah, it's and lift Yeah, getting mixed up I guess and then that's you, my yeah, point. so they're getting sort of smushed together. Um, and so the the problem with performance mar- you know performance advertising I you know it, it, it's easy from a finance standpoint it's yeah, they easy love from it. a and l you can look at it <laughs> and you can say okay I'm I'm am spending a dollar and and I'm getting you know a dollar and 10 cents of margin so I can keep running that. In some cases the, you would have gotten the sale anyway had you not spent the sure. money, so you could have been more profitable. And then you look at your business a few years after doing these uncapped budgets that Tim Armstrong was suggesting, and you realize that a big chunk of your profit margin is going to Google, yeah, and it becomes essentially a tax on all of your business, and so your, your margin is, becomes smaller, and... So much of what, you, and then all your competitors are doing un, they're uncapped um, yeah. advertising in Google, and so let's say you have three competitors in a somewhat commodity space who all do uncapped advertising with performance marketers. The winner is the performance marketer, yeah. not necessarily any of the brands. They become more commoditized. And so, Sounds like
0: a good way to have a trillion dollar market cap.
1: Yeah, it's a good it's good work <laughs> if you can get it. Um, but I think a, a, a more something where that actually creates value. You know, when BuzzFeed makes travel content, it's inspiring people to travel. When we make content, shopping content, it's inspiring people to buy gifts that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And so that's what advertising and marketing has historically been about. Mm-hmm. But you also can have a yeah. transaction. And so, and so, you know, why does the travel industry spend so much money on Google that doesn't inspire anyone to travel, that just takes advantage of when they've already made all the decision to travel and they've already decided to go someplace, then, then they charge a the tax for it. It would be a lot better to... For, for the industry as a whole, if they all agree, let's stop this arms race and instead let's put all of our marketing budgets into things that that show people how awesome it is to travel and all the cool mm-hmm. places they can go and all the ways that they can have great experiences with their friends and family. And if everyone did that, you you might have 10, 20% more travel happen, which would be good for the entire industry. Instead, you have people, you know, trying to harvest whenever they, someone is already going to travel. And, right. and that's that doesn't, increase the pie at all and it and it cuts into the margins and commodifies yeah. the people who are actually providing the services
0: so just to flip back to the platform side i mean you shared figures i mean you're you're making a lot more f- directly from platforms um than you were uh three years ago that's for sure yep um remind me again like how much more and how do you define like the payments you're getting from from quote unquote platforms I
1: mean, when you look at the at the you know sort of five big tech companies, or you include the fang companies, yeah. um, you know it's around 100 million in, in, in revenue that comes into Buzzfeed from various sources. Um, so that might mean programmatic ads run by Google or pre-roll ads from the YouTube marketplace or instant articles or, or mid-roll from Facebook, um, affiliate from from Amazon. Okay, so um, it's all of that. Yeah. So so in you know there there's a sort of question that I was wondering about a couple of years ago which is who's going to make content because the big tech companies don't seem to want to make content mm. but you know YouTube is full of videos someone has to make them Facebook is full of of articles and 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 videos like who's going to make those the way people decide to buy things on Amazon is through Articles and gift guides and 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 reviews and all these things. And so, who's going to end up making all this content? Um, and if the traditional media, you know, especially print, kept being under pressure um, and shrinking, and digital, even digital media, having tough some tough years and less content was being made. And yet, these massive, super profitable companies that need lots of content. And everywhere you go, people are saying they need more content. You yeah. know, you talk to all these different tech companies from you know twitter to airbnb to snap to facebook to you know and everyone's like oh i want content about the stuff that we're doing and i need content for my platform and content is one of the big reasons people are coming mm-hmm. so there's this weird imbalance in the marketplace where there's just tremendous demand and need for digital you're saying there's still there's
0: still an imbalance
1: there's still an imbalance, but it's it's that's why like in that memo that w- where you see this yeah. increase in spend from these big platforms on content is well, that it's from a
0: small level, right? <laughs> it's
1: from a small level, but it's you know it's 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 getting to be, um, it's getting to be significant. I mean, I know you know a hundred million dollars is not that much for, you know, Google or Facebook or Apple, um, but spread across dozens and dozens of partners.
0: Um, so are you pleased? Are you like mildly pleased? Or you- I am just
1: I just am pleased that the idea that there's this imbalance and that it needed to be fixed and that there was going to start to be movement on big platforms that need content, paying do you for th- content. What do you think, what do you think is that? I'm happy that, that that shift is happening. I'm happy that it's moving in that direction. And I'm happy that I wasn't insane to think that, Companies Robert Thompson was
0: out there. He was he was talking about carriage fees and whatnot. I don't think we've gotten there yet, but
1: well Facebook is basically paying a a carriage fee to news organizations in the sense that it's not a rev share. They're paying money to have the ability to take syndicated content that
0: I'll ask a question you probably won't answer, but um I'll do it anyway. How much is this driven by all of the pressure that they're under um, on other fronts? I mean, they're fighting titanic battles. I mean, there's there's, there's regulators in Europe who want to, like, um, dismember their companies and whatnot. Um, and this seems like a convenient way to um, at least, you know, make publishers a little happy, happier.
1: Like they're trying to buy good press or something like that? Yeah.
0: I can see in, 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 in uh, these I, I mean, companies uh, thinking, oh, just cut the check.
1: Right, but part of the reason they're getting um, criticized and attacked is that they're they have articles like the Pope endorses Trump yeah, yeah. before the election, right? So, so in some cases, you know, paying for journalism is not just a bribe. It may be that some people within these companies think, oh, let's th- see it as a bribe. It's also they have this need to have content on the site that isn't Trump endorses or or the Pope endorses Trump. Like, you can't have...
0: One Trump the- has not endorsed the
1: Pope. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah, he, he would say he's much better than the Pope. Yeah. That's true. He see the Pope as a real rival for <laughs> for
0: narcissism. Well, they got in that fight over the wall and stuff. Um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I think part of the reason platforms are paying is that they need a good supply of content. And you look at some of the regulatory pressures that they're facing. Some of it is, why can... Facebook distribute an article where their algorithms recommending it to tons of people that says the pope endorsed Trump with yeah. no consequences but if any traditional publisher did that yeah. they'd be sued for libel they'd be you know they they, they would right. they would like have all kinds of backlash and problems and and you know why do they have these content protections that that mean that they can say anything, do anything, write anything, and just say, oh, we're just a platform. And so people are no longer accepting that. And so if they don't accept that, they can either have some impossible regulation where they have to vet every piece of content on their platform, which is impossible if you're Mm -hmm. YouTube or Facebook, or they can make sure they have at least some source of trusted content from partners they're paying that have actual journalists working on their staff.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe I was was painting it too cynical, but I mean, the interests are more aligned now, and I think in part because of all of this well-earned pressure on them between publishers' interests, which is pay us for the stuff we're making and you're distributing, and the platform's interests. I don't know, there seems to be more alignment.
1: Yeah, so there was such an imbalance, and we're starting to see yeah. this new equilibrium. Still ways to go. Like, I, you know, people use the the phrase ecosystem to talk about in, in business as a sort of metaphor, but I think it's actually a pretty good metaphor. It's one of the business jargon things that I like to say why, why we have to improve. Like Just because, I mean, maybe it's because I, I have a environmental studies degree um, as an undergrad, and, like, when you look at how nature, you know, and ecosystems function— they get out of balance and then mm-hmm. you know lots of rabbits die because there's not enough you know there's there's is this there, like the Serengeti? Well, I mean, you, it, it, if you have a huge imbalance where there's too many predators or there's too right. much prey or there's too much this too much that, like things start to tar- start to to sh- to shake out. And when you look at the media ecosystem, there's a huge imbalance towards the platforms and distributors having all the profits, mm-hmm. uh, all the leverage, calling all the shots. Yeah. And you're seeing that the equilibrium start to be restored, and it's taking government pressure, it's taking publishers complaining a lot, it's taking... Employees at these big tech platforms yeah. feeling embarrassed by the content that is being recommended by their algorithms, We're and bad, looking bad. at that and going home to their families and saying, yeah.
0: "Oh, sh-. it's a bad sign when you need talking points uh, for your employees going home for Christmas." Um, <laughs> <laughs> I believe they had that. Uh, so, final thing is is news. I mean, the, the Ben Smith is is leaving. Um, you're still committed to news. Yeah, totally. Why? T- explain to me why news makes. Uh, even if you, you have a personal sort of belief in it, like what, why does it m- make sense for the business now versus when it started? Because I, I feel like when, when BuzzFeed News started, BuzzFeed sort of needed a little bit, it was like, oh, cat listicles and stuff like this, and it needed some sort of, you know, legitimate, to be legitimized for the business at the time. It just helped. It was a nice halo effect. I don't know if the case is as strong now
1: so you're 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 advocating against BuzzFeed News? I'm not advocating <laughs> against
0: it. I'm I'm a neutral observer, but I'm 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 asking you to I, explain I think any, why I, it's important for the business now.
1: Well, well, to you know, to the point we were just talking about, I think there is a model for news where as as a lot of news organizations move behind paywalls and a lot of the public gets their news from Facebook, from YouTube, from these free open social platforms. Mm-hmm you're going to have another, and you already have, another imbalance in the ecosystem where there's all this quality news that is subscription-based, but all this news consumption happening elsewhere, and that creates a huge vacuum where there needs to be quality journalism that is freely available at massive scale, which is why Facebook is paying some publications for for content and for journalism. And I think you may see a model where, um, you know, BuzzFeed News as a premier digital news organization can do important journalism that then can exist on five or six different platforms that all c- partially cover the cost of the journalism.
0: But do you see a path for this to be a profitable part of the business or will it forever be sort of a loss leader? Um...
1: Well look by like er- earlier I said that BuzzFeed's media network generates uh, about 150 million in revenue or mm-hmm. last year about 150 million in revenue and costs less than that to produce all the content. That includes news. Sure. So so already if you look at BuzzFeed's media network, it is better than break even um, before we add in.
0: It would probably well, be more profitable though without news, I would guess.
1: Yeah, that's true. that's true. but it it you know news is something that adds a lot of of halo and credibility. It drives more repeat viewers. It, mm-hmm. There's times when when the only thing that people really care about is news. It enhances the BuzzFeed.com product um, where people are coming to BuzzFeed for fun, entertaining content. But when there is big news happening in the world, having that news organization be able to provide content there is, is important. Um, so it has a lot of benefits in terms of our relationship yeah. with platforms, our relationship with our audience, our position in the marketplace um, and we're able to do it in a way that um, where BuzzFeed as a whole can be profitable and so BuzzFeed as a whole will be profitable this year you know we tipped over into profitability the back half of last year uh, and so if we can run a profitable global media company at scale um, you know having a news division that is strong and and contributes a huge amount to the company. I'm not makes trying a to convince you
0: to close it down. This is the thing. Uh, <laughs> whenever, you, whenever,
1: you, whenever the people who are most skeptical about news are often people in the news industry, you know, or journalists <laughs> and people where there's a there's a kind of gallows uh, humor and well, a, and I a don't... pessimism because it's been it has been brutal in the news industry, and so many journalists have lost their jobs, and their managing costs has been has been a brutal thing for a lot of. Of, of of companies, um, but news um, news is really important. And I think when you see an imbalance in, in the ecosystem, where where subscription is becoming mm-hmm. um, the model that lots of quality journalists, you know, quality news organizations are using, but the public is still getting their right. news from these free platforms, you have to fix that imbalance. And when you are providing something that is desperately needed by the public and by the audience and by, um, you know, the marketplace, it will be a good business eventually. And, And the
0: business model is, I mean, obviously it's in, in the works when it comes to news overall, because I get what you're saying when, you know, the New York times and, and, and all these other, you know, very, um, marquee publications are behind paywalls. And then you've got the, the Pope endorses, Trump non-news um, that's on Facebook and other platforms, there's a question about like wh- what's going to be freely available. But I wonder, like wh- I guess my question is then, what does the model look like? It's like, okay, some payments f- directly from the platforms. The programmatic advertising will do some. but Yeah, advertising
1: is, is, is part of it. Payments and syndication fees is part of it.
0: Okay, so you see a pathway then for this to be profitable-ish.
1: Yeah, it doesn't even need to be profitable. It can be close. To, it can be you know close to break even, lose a little bit of money, and Buzzfeed as a whole can be can be nicely profitable.
0: Okay, I'm gonna leave it there, Jonah. All right, you don't have to close down Buzzfeed no. Okay, okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed this uh, conversation I had with Jonah. We will be back next week with a new episode. Um, In the meantime, um, please do leave us a rating and review. We like to have those. Um, Supposedly it helps this podcast be discovered. And uh, if you really liked it, we'll share some some of the nicest ones with you. We will be back next week with a new episode.